Well, if you'd like to turn your Bibles back to uh, Psalm 90, Psalm 90, we'll be looking at that together today. Uh, Just before the funeral service, the minister came up to the very elderly widow and asked, how old was your husband? 99, she replied, two years older than me. So you're 97, said the minister. The woman paused, looked back at him and quipped, hardly worth going home, is it? I took a risk, I know. (laughs) Jokes aside, for all the wonder of experiencing life, death is an ever-present reality. It's a certainty we all face. It goes hand-in-hand with life, but we couldn't call it a happy partnership, could we? It is very much an unwelcome guest, our great enemy. Uh, But the thing that has struck me again and again, and you might be surprised to hear this, is that Over the years I've had experience in God's word, maybe you've had this experience too, what's really struck me is that it doesn't shy away or paper over uh, the difficult things of life, the challenges, the uncertainties, the heartaches. It tackles the things that matter to us most, like the shortness of life and the tyranny of death. And it offers us wisdom. Now, these two weeks we've been looking at Psalm 8 and 90, songs of the Old Testament. As we heard earlier, a psalm is just a song, and the whole book of Psalms and a number of other books like it are described, uh, because of their character, as the wisdom books. And this because they offer us wisdom, not just any wisdom, but God's wisdom, the wisdom we need for life. How would you describe this wisdom then? Well, I once heard someone describe it this way, and I think they were on the money. Wisdom is recognising reality and living in step with reality. And that'll be no less uh, the case today as we hear Psalm 90. Another thing about the Psalms uh, is that God gives us the Psalms to teach us how Uh, as we do life and we want to know how do I respond to God Uh, it teaches us how how do we relate to him in the midst of joy how do we cry out to him in the midst of heartache how do we praise him in the midst of thankfulness there's no better place to go than the Psalms to turn to God's word to us and make it our words to him. And again today, you won't go wrong if you do that with Psalm 90. One last thing uh, for now about reading the Psalms, we read them knowing the ending. Uh, What I mean is, as wonderful as the Psalms are, they were given when something even more wonderful was yet to come. I don't know if you've ever had the experience, uh, sometimes uh, people who preach in churches are terrible for this. They keep telling you how some movie that's just come out ends or spoil the end of a novel. I've had the Lord of the Rings spoilt for me uh, in, in similar circumstances. I hope that does not happen to you today. But this is not a spoiler in a bad way. 
This is to know the great climax and pinnacle of all God is doing in the world. So the Psalms, which came before that great climax, we shouldn't read them as if they were frozen in time. Uh, Certainly we should read them uh, in the first place as those who first received them, heard them, but then we look, step back and see the bigger picture the great story of who God is and who we are and how he has brought the two together and its climax at the mountaintop is the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read the Psalms in light of that mountaintop. And as Psalm 90 unfolds, uh, do see it is not a psalm of despair. If you get lost in the detail, it can feel that way, but in fact it is a psalm of comfort and confidence and power. Let's look at it together. And uh, uh, as the whole Bible uh, unfolds, as I just alluded to, uh, as the great story of who God is and who we are and how he's brought the two together, in in just 17 verses... Psalm uh, 90 navigates that same arc, uh, an arc in three parts that will shape our path today. Uh, The first, the Lord is eternal and personal. The second, he rules over our time, over life and death. And third, ask him to teach us to number our days. Let's look at it together. The beginning of the psalm is quite striking because it looks back on a long history and announces the Lord is both eternal and personal. Uh, There's so much to notice as this psalm begins, but in a way about so much that had already happened when it was penned. Uh, The title, the title, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God, tells us who it was written by and these titles in the Psalms unlike the headings in the rest of our Bibles these are actually part of the Bible text and who we have we here none other than the big man himself Moses who was raised in Pharaoh's court Moses who demanded Pharaoh let God's people go Moses who was used by God to lead his people through the Red Sea but Moses also, who saw the rebellion of God's people in the desert. Moses, who then walked with them for 40 years in what should have been an 11-day trip. Moses, who saw every adult but two who crossed the Red Sea die in the desert. And Moses, who, because of his own sin against God, never got to the promised land himself. Now, whether this is a prayer Moses himself actually spoke or the psalmist places it for us on his lips, Moses could certainly say these words of verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. It's an incredible experience to know the living God and that's exactly what Moses and the Israelites had experienced He's not talking so much about a place as a person. 
uh, when it speaks of dwelling, but as one of those ancient fortified cities was a safe place and secure from all sorts of threats, uh, or as you feel perhaps in your own home for that matter, Moses is saying, you Lord, you provide our security, our comfort and our safety just as you've given us your very self. That was the Israelites' experience. Even when the odds were stacked against them, and where, as we're further down the track of time, it can be our confidence as well. Now, of course, the reason God's people had this experience of God is because he's the God who made all things and is beyond all things. Have a look at verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We don't have to look very far, do we, to even see some of those mountains that are his handiwork. He gave birth to them, and he was around before them. And so whatever our emotions, uh, uh, whatever other emotions we may have reflecting on God uh, that they might be produced, this song will warrant uh, a great many, in fact. But whatever else it produces, as the people of God, our experience shared with Moses in the hands of the eternal God is one of his incredible faithfulness and so with it of security and comfort and safety. But God's word is nothing if it's not plain spoken about the messiness of life and about the briefness of our time on this earth. And so reading from verse 3, you turn people back to dust saying, return to dust you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. No doubt Moses is here reflecting back to the very beginning to Genesis 1 to 3. Uh, which recounts God before anything and then God creating everything. But then in chapter 3, death entering the world and the Lord saying, you were made from dust and to dust you will return. Even more than that, as we see ourselves compared with God, he is timeless in his existence, but ours is a very short expiry date. He is almost beyond comprehension when a thousand years is like a day to him where our short lives end in death, the mere blink of an eye. And uh, none of us here uh, living in this neck of the woods uh, around Penrith and the lower mountains, we don't need to uh, imagine the image of verses 5 to 6 uh, or certainly we won't have to in a few months' time with summer around the corner. I expect it won't be long before we'll be able to say to each other, you can almost see the grass dying before you. <laughs> and before God, our lifespan is no different. So why 
Why is it this way? Uh, We know, don't we, why death visits as an unwelcome guest on every life. And what's more, we know, and the writer of Ecclesiastes captures this feeling. Uh, It too is one of the wisdom books, but he reflects again and again on the intrusion of death, but is quick to speak these words about our experience of life. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, the Lord has set eternity in the human heart. And so we live every day with this tension. What is the answer? Why is it so? It's because without any intervention, our lives are lived at odds with reality. We are not wise, but sinful. We are not worthy of God but deny his place as God, even though we are answerable to him, made for him. There's a deep irony, in fact, for as people who, and I imagine you've had this experience yourself, we long for justice and we're all too quick to cry out for justice when we've been wronged. Or to question God when things don't pan out in the justice that would conform to ours. We as people and as individuals likewise fail to trust him, to treat him justly as we should. And so death entered our world and is part of our experience. Reading from verse 9. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. He sees the sin of our hearts, even that sin we keep secret from ourselves. And he judges us, and he is just. And I don't know whether you've felt this experience. I I expect you have. It's all too common, isn't it, Uh, to feel the days fly by. Uh, Sure, when we're younger, things go at a happy enough pace, and you can fit a great deal into your year. And yet, as the years go by, don't we hear ourselves asking, "Was, was this short year shorter than the last And each day is one day closer to the grave. And sickness and suffering is part of our experience. In fact, I take uh, a lot of funerals. Uh, You might say it's an occupational hazard. And as I've spent time with families and the bereaved, and you, And as we've experienced our own griefs in our family, we know, don't we, we share that deep grief of separation and loss and a a whole range of feelings. It can be quite confusing, even disturbing. Some, Some feelings of guilt, of not having done enough or said enough or taken the place of the one we loved most. 
And those experiences, those intense feelings, they remind us, don't they, that people, people matter so much. And our years, 70 years or 80, it is not enough. Uh, In this world, with death in it, there is no such thing as a good innings. It is not enough because we were made for more. Reading verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Psalm 90 is an incredible vision of wisdom. Uh, Wisdom for us, as it captures the security we may find in God, that security we so desperately need to know, as it reflects the majesty of God that we so very much need to grasp, and as it warns us of the judgment of God, which we ought very much to fear. But it is not a song that should lead us to despair. In fact, it is a song that invites us to lift our eyes and to fall on our knees. It is the wisdom that encourages us to ask the Lord for what we need in the confidence that the Lord is eternal and personal in the confidence that he rules over life and death, in the confidence that if we ask for what we need, he is more ready, more than ready to answer. Everything we have read, getting up to this point now in Psalm 90, reminds us of this. And remember the title. It is a prayer of Moses. A prayer. And not just telling us about God, but modelling the wise response to him, reminding ourselves of who he is and where we are and brings us how he brings us back together with him. And it's asking him, knowing who he is, to do that great work in us. Verse 12, ask him, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. This is the very core of the psalm. This is the request that guides the ones that follow, where we're asking the Lord to remind us each day we live is a day closer to the day when we will see him face to face is a day closer to when we'll have to give an account of ourselves is a day in which we may walk in death or life how can we walk in life when the lord god changes us and so we ask Ask him to enable us to recognise reality and live in step with that reality. Ask for a heart that he would give us a heart that recognises his character and his authority and his mercy to save us.
as Israel had witnessed and Moses recounted, as we have been shown in the Lord Jesus as his witnesses recounted. And if we ask him to do that work in us, then what are we doing? We are trusting ourselves to the one who is trustworthy. Finding our dwelling place in him. Trusting he knows he is not caught unaware of the ups and downs in our lives. He knows each day and so we may know each day is a gift to live for and even more importantly in which to live with him. That's what it is to have a heart of wisdom. And so verse 12 is really the headline prayer which uh, the rest of the psalm fleshes out. Now we'll, we'll pass through those reasonably quickly uh, before we finish up this morning. The wise heart uh, we read in verse 13 is one that cries for mercy. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. I love this prayer because it's a prayer that we uh, needn't ask without knowing how God will answer it. We know he wants to show mercy. In fact, he has shown mercy. The death and judgment that should fall on us have fallen on our Lord instead. Peter, who was one of Jesus' apostles, writes in 1 Peter 3 verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Remembering that other passage from Peter, the one we read earlier in church, the one about a thousand years and a day, the one that recalls verse 4 from this song, the Lord God will bring his mercy to all who trust in it. And we will be spared judgment. Don't worry that it may not be as obvious as you'd like it to be now or things are moving slower than you'd like them to move. You can be sure he will do it because his is the ultimate wisdom, the wisdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as he shows us mercy, he is the one who satisfies us, as we read from verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have as afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. When God answers our prayer that we should number our days, we may live each new day as a gift from him, as a day in which to know him, as a day in which to remember him, as a day in which to be thankful to him and honour him. And that's not to paper over or to pretend that there will not be hardships as likewise there will be joys. And some of us will live longer than others of us, 
but each may find the same satisfaction in him, in our dwelling place. He who has shown himself more than faithful time and again and will be to you and to me as we trust him. Finally, knowing the one who gives us purpose, who gave us our purpose all the way back at creation, we can ask him that we would be a success in fulfilling it. Uh, give us success in the work you have given us, the psalmist cries. Verse 17, may the favour of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now that's not success uh, as the, the world around us uh, often views it. It's not a success that's based on self-interest and sort of bigging ourselves up, uh, but it's, a, it's motivated by other person interests. It's, it's motivated by our interest or God's interest in us. We've been privileged to be given a place in God's creation to rule over it under him. That is our work, our lives have purpose and meaning under him. So I don't think he's talking so much about, well, as you think about your work, maybe the deliveries you make or the buildings you help build, but, but I am certain he is talking about the people we serve, including serving through delivering or building and in all manner of other things and ways we love people, but ultimately in the love we show by walking in the wisdom of God found in the Lord Jesus and proclaiming him to others. It's people who pass into eternity and our reward for our work is to see people serve through the love we have extended them just as the Lord has loved and extended extraordinary love to us. Unless our lives, our work, our actions, unless they're established by God's power, they are meaningless. But as the Apostle Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 15, our labour in the Lord, walking in trust in him, living and acting and working that out, that is not in vain. He has prepared the good works uh, in advance for us to walk in that in answering this prayer, we will succeed in doing. You know, when a little baby is born, uh, and if you can take your mind uh, to this place, uh, when they are born, everything is in front of them. Uh, and when you're a, a, a parent... Uh, those who are parents, it's like this beautiful little person will be with you forever. In fact, as you get woken up three or four times during the night, it does feel like forever. Uh, but not long ago, uh, Louise was pregnant with our first child. Uh, I see a smirk on some people's faces. Uh, but when that happened, a wise person said to me, look, you can really only expect to have them around at home for 18 years and then who knows what they'll go off 
and do. And while now, when they're little and in your arms, feels like a lifetime, who knows what will happen after that? What they'll do, where they'll go. Make the most of the time you have together. We have three sons. The youngest is now an adult and moved out of home. And what is it they say? The days are long, but the years are short. Today we have heard the wisdom of God, wisdom to live by. Lord, teach us to number our days so we may have a heart of wisdom. Shouldn't this be a prayer, a prayer that we make ours every day? I'm persuaded I should pray it more frequently. Will you pray it with me? Confident the Lord will answer it. So we may know him and have life each day in him and be satisfied with him. As he answers that prayer, that is true wisdom. It's wisdom for life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you teach us to pray, that we know what to pray and wonderfully your faithfulness in answering. May this prayer shape our life both today and in the week ahead. We thank you for your awesome power, but your loving mercy. Go before us, we pray, that we might do the good works you have prepared in advance for us to do. And as with this prayer, as with this psalm, so with the rest of your word, you equip us and change us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.